Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week, I guess now with athletics are we gonna have to change the introduction to the show for at least the foreseeable future we've returned after a month or so hiatus unfortunately sports have not returned with us yet although the National Football League as we say on this show to quote Chris Berman nobody circles the wagons quite like the National Football League they have continued to go on Without haste, full steam ahead. Don't worry about what's happening in the country. They are pushing forward and going on like they normally would, in, in most senses. That's why we're doing this show, because the NFL draft is nigh. I know you're excited about the NFL draft. You know I don't really care anything about it at all, but that's all right. Because <laughs> if you put the two of us together, at least people can listen to you about what will come in the NFL, we had some incredible excitement Sunday night as well with the first two episodes of The Last Dance, the documentary centered around Michael Jordan and his last season with the Chicago Bulls. One of the best documentaries I've ever seen, and there's still eight more of them. But before we get into sports, I should ask, what's going on? How have you been? What are you up to during this quarantine and the past 40 days without sports? Uh, partner, it's great to speak with you again. And we hope everybody out there is staying safe, trying to keep active, despite the fact that we're all under uh, stay-at-home orders, so to speak. I'm in and out of the office during the day. Um, you know, since we are you know, at times an essential business, um, I represent banks. Uh, that's essential work. Uh, so we still have to soldier on with the lawyering, but you know, our office is quote-unquote closed we go in at times um all the social distancing masks gloves etc it's a difficult time for everybody um and it, it seems to be getting a little better based upon whom you listen to certainly our governor uh who's i think has been fabulous throughout and uh he's doing everything within his power to protect the people of his state at least in my mind and has really erred on the side of caution, which I think is the way to go. But you know, regardless of your politics, eventually we got to get this thing back and up, back opened up. People got to get to work. Um, you know, the issue is how are we going to protect people from either a second uh, coming of this terrible disease, or, or this, you know, are, are we going to have a vaccine? Uh, that'll protect us from it, because obviously it's uh, it's wreaked havoc in this country, clearly in the tri-state area, most heavily here, New York State, the hardest hit 
far and away in the nation and then obviously worldwide. Um, basically, the virus has literally taken over and it has put us in the kind of state we literally have never seen, a constant state of emergency and shutdown uh, due to circumstances literally beyond our control uh, in terms of how it got here. And then once it did get here, uh, at least in my mind, it wasn't uh, properly, uh, I don't want to say feared, but all the potential measures that could have been taken, uh, and not even to minimize it, but to help try and limit its spread, and control its spread to a much greater degree uh, weren't taken. And as a result, we've lost far too many people uh, here in New York State and far too many others throughout the country, which has just been tragic. People have been unable to say goodbye to their family members who've been lost. And um, that's something that uh, a lot of it could have been prevented, uh, but wasn't. And so we find ourselves with not much of anything other than abusing ourselves amongst our family, working at home, uh, quality time with the family. And from the sports perspective, a lot of replays, uh, a lot of best of, and a lot of 2006, 2013, 2017, 1997, 1993, uh, watching stuff all over again, uh, rekindling some great memories, some ugly memories, but rekindling nonetheless. And, uh, Last night, we got rekindled again uh, with one of the greatest two parts to a um, story that we're ever going to see because this 10 part last dance on Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls, their final season together, their sixth championship, uh, the 1997-98 season was truly a remarkable two hours uh, documenting Jordan early Jordan, late Pippen, Jerry Reiser, the owner, the late Jerry Cross, the general manager, uh, and others. And it was just the beginning. And from my point of view, the next eight have got a tall order if they want to possibly match what we saw in the first two, which I truly thought were extraordinary in terms of what people said, the people that said it, and obviously, the GOAT, Michael Jordan, who uh, gave us a look back into some things we didn't know, at least I didn't know, and uh, looked pretty pretty comfortable with himself, uh, at least so far in the first two episodes. Uh, brutally honest, love to hear the language. Uh, you had the uncut version on ESPN, you had the uh, G-rated version on ESPN2. I'll always go for the uh, full-fledged, full-shot deal. Uh, and that's what we got uncut, uncensored. I thought it was terrific, and I'm anxious for more to come. But the first two hours last night, I thought were magnificent. I couldn't believe how good it was. And there's a little bias there. Uh, basketball for me, and for a lot of people, I guess, in my generation. I mean, we're six and seven years old when he's winning titles five and six. And if you turn on basketball, you can't avoid Michael Jordan during that time period. And if you turn on basketball and like success, it's hard not to gravitate toward that Chicago Bulls team, which I admittedly did. I had a Jordan jersey. I had posters all over my room. Michael Jordan was the man for me. And so he was to millions upon millions 
of basketball fans or just fans of the sport. It was Michael Jordan, must-see television night after night. So a lot of the final successes and things was familiar to me. I, I must have watched back in the days when they used to make championship VHS tapes, Al. I watched the 1996 Yankees championship VHS tape and the Bulls 97-98 tape probably wore both tapes out from watching them so much. So I was pretty familiar with the story and what happens, but there's so much more that goes into it. And I remember when they first told us that this was happening, this 10-part documentary series, and that a camera crew followed around the team in 97 and 98. It was like, first of all, amazing that that happened, but second, like, where did all this footage go? Who had this, and why now? And thank God now that this is going to come out in general. Now, obviously, the world changed drastically from when they were going to release it till now, and they bumped up the production of it and gave it to us while we're sitting on our hands, which is great. But the hype, just thinking, like, what you wanted to hear, what you wanted to know, what you wanted those guys to say you could dream of what you wanted it to be, but part of you was like, I don't know if they're going to go as in-depth and if they're going to talk to the right people. And the first two episodes exceeded expectations, even the highest of expectations. Just I, I, I couldn't agree with you more because I was and tired of the buildup. And I was, because obviously they accelerated because of the circumstances, and the hype was just... It was hard to deal with. Now, first of all, as the old report, let, let's remember my time frame. I was basking in the Celtics and the Lakers of the 80s and following that rivalry and my Lakers championships in 80, 82, swept by the Sixers in the finals in 83, with Worthy's broken ankle and Norm Nixon getting banged up. Not that they would have won anyway. That was the Sixers' year. Uh, literally give the series away against the Celtics in 84, ready to go up 2-0 with a two-point lead in the ball with less than 24 seconds to go. And then, you know, they call a timeout based on misunderstanding with Riley. And he doesn't advance the ball. They impound it in the half court, the steal, the Jarathons to the lamp. They lose in overtime instead of up 2-0, it's 1-1. They ultimately lose in seven. Tragic Johnson, uh, you know, the worst of Magic Johnson in that series. 85, bounce uh, back and beat the Celtics in six. 86, upset by the Rockets uh, on the way to the great Celtic team of 86 that they don't play. And here comes Jordan. You know, who we had seen as an incredible freshman in 82, game-winning shot, extraordinary in 83 and 84, player of the year, third pick of the draft, rookie of the year, breaks his foot. Second season. Here's where comes the most intriguing aspect of the entire two hours for me. Again, wrapped up in the Lakers, hopefully getting ready to take on the Celtics. Again, it doesn't happen in 86. And Syracuse, forever in the mix in the NCAA. And my then Browns, now Ravens, uh, Bernie Kosar uh, in the playoffs. 
and the go-go Cardinals in the midst of a, a big time. I mean, I was in sports heaven in the midst of, you know, 82, 85, 87 World Series, uh, the go-go Cardinals. But following everything as closely as I could, I had no recollection. And if I knew of it, I totally forgot it. And I don't even remember knowing of the seven-minute rule. I remember him coming back. I remember when he broke his foot. I remember missing the lion's share of the season. And I remember when he came back. But I don't have any recollection of the seven-minute rule, that last game where they couldn't they wouldn't let Stan stand out and put him for the last 13 seconds. This footage out of nowhere where you see him on the bench beside himself because he can't come back in the game. John Paxson throws one in from 12 feet. They go to the playoffs. The rest I remember. The outrageous performances against the Celtics, the 63-point game, which was just, I mean, you won't the shots. The, the, the double clutches hanging in the air from 15 feet. I, I mean, I, I'm sorry. That stuff is otherworldly, but let be that as it may. This information, Scotty Pippen from the back of the bus cursing out Jerry Krause, Phil saying we had to do something about it, this has got to stop. I mean, Roy Williams, they sent us this kid who said, you know, they think we might have a player here. By the time we left camp, we had the best player in the country. We thought we had the best player in the country. James Worthy, freshman year, in comes this kid, you know, he, he, he's really good, you know, after, play, after practice, he wants to play one-on-one, -on -one. he's constantly working, you know, and I was better than him for two weeks. And remember, that was the James Worthy that was against Georgetown, uh, the star of the game, the most outstanding player, and subsequently the number one pick by the Lakers overall in the draft. So just a few tidbits along with things like Jordan brutally honest and showing how important it was for him to win, saying in the interview when they're talking about Charles Oakley, who was his best friend on the team and basically his bodyguard. But he was okay with the trade. Because the trade that needed to be made, because it was time for Charles to go because they needed a center. And Jerry Chris went and got Horace Grant, who was a better player anyway. But what was more important to Jordan? Not playing with his best friend, but having the best team. Jordan talking about anti-tanking, talking about this notion that uh, sit him out or not let him play enough so they wouldn't win, so they'd get a better draft pick. And Jordan immediately responding, that's not what a winning attitude is about. And that can't be what our front office is about. You got to have a winning mentality. So you saw it right away. There was no hiding from the camera. There was no, uh, I'm not going to comment. Uh, well, let management, you have to address that to them. I'm just a player. Uh-uh. No way. I want to play. I'm okay to play, and if we're not playing to win, we're not doing the right thing. This isn't about losing games. This is about winning games. This is about, not about getting a better draft pick. It's going about there and winning every night. And that's what I want the new report, and those even younger than you, to see. Because that's what nobody saw. 
That's what nobody knows about. That's what this generation doesn't have a clue of. It's not a question of the GOAT and, and Michael and LeBron, uh, Michael and Kobe, Kobe and LeBron. It, it, it's a question of what they didn't see. Why did we like Mike? Why was he a phenomenon? Why did he become literally the Babe Ruth of basketball? Why? Because of that attitude. Not just the fact that he was incredibly gifted, that he was an incredibly hard worker, but that literally there was winning and nothing else. Winning was indeed everything. And that's the way he played. Regardless of this notion of where you palled around with Danny Ainge. He played a round of golf with Danny Ainge and then went out and scored. As he was getting out of the cab, tell your boy DJ, I got something for him. I put 63 on Dennis Johnson. So it was almost like it was a, uh, you know, a, a little carrot for Danny Ainge. But the, the point is, what you're seeing in this is the Michael Jordan that these people don't know, the Michael Jordan that kids, when I say, and when I say kids, I mean, you know, people in their 20s, 25, 30 years old, even your age, had no concept of in terms of what was going on when he was on the court and how hard he worked and how hard he played in terms of wanting to be the best all the time, every time he took the court. And you could see it in the effort and you saw it in the practices. He not not gonna take he's just not gonna take it. Once he became established he, through hard work and great skills, he simply was not going to settle for anything but anybody else's best. wasn't just about his best. You know, you don't have to keep up with me as being as good as me, but you got to keep up with me by working your hardest. You may not work as hard as me because your hardest may not be as my hard as, as hard as mine, but give me your hardest. Give me your best because you're going to get mine all the time. Well, what's like interesting you saying, too like, is like you, to Tony, like you were saying to Tony Kukoc, I'm going to be on you all practice. Right, right. What's interesting too is he's addressed this part of it. He's came out before this documentary was released and said, "I'm afraid that some people aren't going to like me after watching this," and it's the fear of in 2020 how he was in 19 in the 1990s as a player. They don't mix now. You don't see players going after guys like that as much. I mean, few and far between now. You could probably name them on your hand. Guys that will ride their players to try to get the best out of them. And he had to basically make a PSA about it and say, I hope people still like me after this because what you're going to see is raw and what you're going to see is who I was. And exactly, Kobe was the prime example of it as well. And it, that, that might be it. I mean, I, I can't name somebody now that we at least know of. Maybe you see it behind closed doors, but you're not going to get that type of mentality anymore. T- to be honest, that's just not how basketball's played. It, it's a yes. lot of just social media tweets and Instagram posts. Exactly. And, the th- communication is nonstop. The opportunities are there. It's not just, and it, it, it's not that you know the notion of oh, you know, it's soft. No, it's not. Of course, 
some of these guys are big and they're rough and they're tough and they all play hard, but it's a different world. There are greater lines, you know far better than me, is the new report, far better lines and opportunities for people to communicate. We won't even go into the ways because everybody listening knows them. That there are now than there were in the 80s and in the 90s. It's night and day. And as a result, people take advantage of those opportunities, whether it's tweeting, whether it's all the different aspects of social media where they communicate with each other and their feelings are constantly known and their thoughts are constantly known. Would Michael Jordan have been interested in doing that? I have no idea. You know, for example, do, do we ever see tweets from Michael Jordan in this day and age? Rarely. Something happens to someone like Kobe Bryant's tragic passing. Okay, you, you'll, you'll get a tweet. But do we see Michael Jordan out there tweeting on today's game? The way we do others, like Magic, or Walt Clyde Frazier, or Charles Barkley, Shaq. No. No, we don't. It was never his... I take it back. It hasn't been his modus operandi. And when he was playing, his, his approach was take no prisoners and, and everybody is public enemy number one on the court. That doesn't mean he didn't pal around with guys off the court. You know, he had friends off the court, whether they were on his team or on the other team. He'd golf with anybody. But the point is, we're, we're getting to see things with this cavalcade, so to speak. Uh, I don't want to call it a traveling circus, but they were rock stars. It's as simple as that. You saw him headed to the bus. I mean, it, it was ridiculous. Um, always Natalie attired, always mindful of the press, always with a thoughtful commentary and remark. You know, how would he be in today's social media craze? Who knows? He'd be exposed to more of it, so he'd probably be more savvy with it. Because the more you're exposed to it, the more you become used to it, the more you're used to dealing with it, and the more you accept it. Versus, oh, well, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't do it today because, you know, the way he was, that wouldn't fly today. Well, he probably wouldn't be the way today he was that in terms of dealing with the media because you know, you're raised differently you know, you, you again you don't just take 18 year old michael jordan and plop him here now you take michael jordan and you birth him you know in the year 1998 1995 so he's 25 so he grows up in this that's the only fair way you can do it. Just like when you compare errors. You, you can't compare errors if you don't give the old guy the benefit of the training in today's time frame. Or if you take the new guy and send him back to the old times, you, you didn't have the benefit of the training. But that's why it's so hard to compare errors. But the, the point is, he is giving us things we didn't see. He is uh, open and honest forthright with Pippen, his wingman. Okay, Scotty fucked up when Scotty had his surgery too late. 
and Pippen saying, fuck them. I'm not going to ruin my summer by having surgery right after the season. I'm going to enjoy my summer, and then I'll have my surgery, and I'll rehab during the season. And Jordan says, that was wrong. That was selfish because it's about the team, and that wasn't about the team. Now, he's making $35 million a year, and Pippen's making $2.5 million, but that's a contract Pippen signed. And as far as Jordan was concerned, you know, all for one, one for all. We're a team. You all do right by the team. They need to do right, right by the team. Because, you know, he had his surgery late, missed a good chunk of the season instead of having his surgery right after the summer or after the season. So he had all summer to rehab. And somehow, some way, he found his way back after we saw in this documentary him saying, I'll never play for the Chicago Bulls again. So we get a little tease. That's how that's how well this is done. They're doing it just like a series where it's not disjoint. It's not disparate. It's just we're going to see bits and pieces that are going to make us want for more. And that's exactly the way they're doing it now with Pippen, because you know we get to follow the Pippen scenario in terms of. Uh, he, he's never going to play for the Bulls again, and he despises Jerry Krause and how you know he found his way back to the Bulls not just for that year, but obviously, you know, for the following year. And you know, what we thought was going to happen, and this did in fact happen, uh, they made the late Jerry Krause, who you know, was unable to defend himself, uh, as public enemy number one. He is the villain. You know, every every great show or series got a villain. Jerry Krause is the villain. Um, to his credit, he built a dynasty. To his detriment, he wanted to break it up while it was still going on. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. I'm sure you're not entranced as the new report side of the podcast is with Tiger King on Netflix and Joe Exotic, though you've probably have heard those names, shockingly enough. We now have another villain almost immediately afterward. It was Carol Baskin from Tiger King. Now Jerry I've heard Krause, that name. Jerry Krause, I've heard that name. I have no he idea. is public enemy number one, and he, he Carol Baskin is is an afterthought now. It was what is this guy doing, trying to break up this dynasty? And as I you mentioned, the jokes, he, the he jokes are that Jerry, Jerry, <laughs> Jerry, why don't you laugh so this will lower the rim? I mean, <laughs> the constant barbs. And but but the thing that really struck me was Phil Jackson talking about the bus ride and the way Pippen was just castigating Kraus from the back of the bus and how serious Jackson was in terms of um, you know his description of it and how they they had to something had to be done about it because it was you know, it, 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 was to, it was very negative with respect to the team. And Jackson, his, his mind he was so serious. It wasn't just, you know, Joe Klein was like, you know, stuff coming from the back of the bus, you know. Oh, what was that? Jackson was very serious about how the fact 
that coming from a player towards a general manager in, in front of the entire team was just you know, not acceptable. At least that was my take on it, that that conduct was not acceptable and was going to be detrimental to the team and they had to do something about it. I, I think what's most exciting about this, and now we can move on to the draft, is you're hearing from Michael Jordan, and you mentioned it. He's not one now to make public comments about his team, the world, whatever's going on in the league currently or whatever happened previously, he still keeps to himself, even though... Most we saw of Michael Jordan, and we talked about it on this program, as to how much it surprised us was his lengthy appearance and eulogy of Kobe Bryant. Not just that he was there, which we figured he would be, but the fact that he spoke the length of time that he spoke and the emotion that he showed and stories that he told during his portion of the celebration in eulogizing, as you referred to him as his little brother. That was the most we've seen out of Michael in a very, very, very long time. Right. Nothing else even close. But hearing from the director, who's made some public comments about this, is they had three separate interviews, around eight or nine hours of conversation, and nothing was off the table. He answered everything. He rewatched this series and, and added some, some notes. He was all in with this as he was when he played basketball. This was something that he just dove into. For example, they asked him with the foot, I believe it was, like, what game did you think that you were back? And they, they were thinking, well, well, we'll probably say the 63 points was when he really came back. And he said, oh, no, I, I made a game-winning shot against the Hawks, I believe it was. So then they put that into the movie. Like, okay, he's, he's remembering these things, and, and he's kind of helping tell the story. The fact that nothing was off limits, and there was no, I'd rather not answer that. It, it was a complete open book. There's times where, and I believe we'll see this, where emotion overtakes some of the answers that he's giving, and he has to stop, and they, they refresh. But they keep it in to show everybody how passionate he is on some of these responses and questions. That part is what makes it so exciting and what made the first two episodes so cool is, as we were mentioning, you, you just don't hear it from Michael Jordan. Not that that's a bad thing, but he keeps to himself for, for the most and, part of it. And him and Buzz Peterson ride 10 speeds around Chapel Hill. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> the research that was put into this is, is top-notch, and that's what you have to do for a project like this. That's exactly right. The, the time and effort put into this so far, so great. It has just been, like I said, I, I was mesmerized. And the exciting part is it's been long enough now, 20-plus years, to where the story can be exciting again. Not to say that it would ever be old to tell, but... It's been long enough now to where the people that witnessed it can appreciate it, and it's been long enough now where there's so many people that didn't get to experience this and experience it for the first time. So it's unbelievable in every way. And that's why you're a great partner, because that is a fabulous point. If this was done 
2003. Uh, it's five years ago. But there has been enough passage of time where people never even saw him play. People have heard the mythical descriptions. You know, people want to know how he can be the GOAT when there's LeBron. All right? He can't possibly be better. And people your age remember the beginning and people my age reveled it and and this is from somebody who was a jordan fan in a very not who, who rooted for jordan in very limited time frame. i rooted for him against georgetown because I, I could almost root for the russians against georgetown that's how much i hated georgetown it would have been close but so of course i'm rooting for north carolina of course they're rooting for Jordan. The rest of his college career, I really wasn't rooting for him. You know? I'm a Syracuse alum. Then he goes into the pros. I'm rooting for him to the extent that as a Laker fan, I would love it if he knocked off the Pistons or knocked off the Celtics. All right, so I wouldn't have to play him, but he never really did that. And by the time he finally did, all right, uh, it's 91 and they beat an old, beat-up Laker team. 92, I rooted for the Blazers. 93, right, I rooted for Phoenix. 94, I rooted for the Sonics. 95, 96, I rooted for the Jazz. I rooted against the Bulls. Because I want to see him win more rings of magic. Yeah, right. Okay? So I, I was a fan of how great the player was and how phenomenal he was and how hard to beat he was but i wasn't rooting for the bulls i was never rooting for the bulls just in those isolated instances when it could have helped me let's take a quick break to pay the bills he's al renato i'm john lunn we'll be right back with the new report old report here on sports radio america we welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. So this week is the NFL draft. Come rain or shine, sleet or snow, the NFL has stayed the course for what got it some real stuff happening. Got and some real, some, some real action. It's gonna be, it's it's gonna be very interesting for the old reports of the world because the teams and franchises will be tasked with doing this draft remotely from their homes or headquarters or wherever they might be, like it Roger is, Goodell's it, it basement. Is the new, it is the new, the draft is literally the, it's the quintessential new report old report. Exactly. They're doing it, they're doing it via Skype and Zoom and all this fancy stuff that we know about, but where they do it from <laughs> their basements. This the, the basement tapes, man. The basement has become the most important room in all of sports television. Everybody's doing their shows from there. And the draft is going to be there. The commissioner is going to be in his basement in Bronxville. <laughs> it's going to be fascinating to see how they pull this off. They, they did a little I, mock draft today. And apparently, for the most part, at least according to John went Elway, okay. Did it go okay? Up, it went okay. It went okay oh. for the most part. I guess they had a, a couple of hiccups in the beginning where they weren't uh, muting their microphones and everybody was talking at once. But eventually, they figured it out. So... If all goes according to plan for how things went during the mock draft, it should go all right. I know 
ESPN has done a, a great job of keeping their head above water in general with some of its programming. So graphically and, and all that, I think we'll be fine. It's just going to be awkward to not have the traditional boo to start things off. Although, don't put it past Goodell to get like a, a fake crowd noise boo to play after he says hello, like he'll have his wife or, or somebody close to him that, that might be quarantined with him hit play on their phone and have booze come through because, should, of course, he, he would. Should, he should be in the basement with the family, and the family should boo. They, they should boo. I, I, think he, I think he loves the booing at the beginning He's more than the draft I, I, I think he has a great sense of humor. And obviously, you know, the hottest name in this draft is Tua. And what's going to happen with his stock? Is it going to rise? Is it going to fall? Is it going to sit where everybody thought it was going to be? Is anybody going to trade up for him? Is he going to fall down? I haven't got a clue, uh, especially under the circumstances where, you know, the the visuals are about all people had limited access uh, to him physically in terms of uh, doctors' reports, doctors giving their own opinions, uh, having him in to, I know the Dolphins wanted to um, meet with him and, and have their doctors look more and could not. Because that's what I heard anyway. So this constant intrigue of the Dolphins and the Chargers at five and six, you know, with the two quarterbacks, who's going to take who? Is somebody going to jump up ahead of both of them and take Tua? You know, New England, I mean, how New England would get up that you know, high enough is beyond me unless they offered just a, a barrel full of picks, which I can't see. And after the quarterbacks go, supposedly one, five, and six, who goes next? You know, defensive wise, the, the multitude of wide receivers, one of the great wide receiver draft classes of all time. Which one goes first? How many of them go? Who makes the first jump on the wide receivers? Who falls? Who skyrockets? Who trades up? Who trades down? What do the Giants do? Uh, so, so really, a- after the first two, and if it's not, you know, Joe Burrow and Chase Young, you got a story. Um, after the first two, it really becomes intriguing. I mean, wh- wh- why does Detroit stay at three and draft a cornerback? Trade down. Trade down and take the cornerback. Why do the Giants stay at four and take an offensive tackle? Trade down and take an offensive tackle. Get the extra picks. Get the, get the extra draft capital. You know, I mean, you're going to spend the fourth pick on a tackle? you spend the third overall pick on a cornerback? See if somebody wants to trade up for Tua. And if, if you're saying, if you're, I can't stop saying San Diego. If I'm the Chargers and the Dolphins, I sit. I'm not going to trade up for Tua. Now, I need your thoughts on Tua as the new report. I think based upon what we've seen, this is the most overhyped college football player in, in recent memory. He played a season in nine games. A season in nine games. Came off the bench as a freshman, threw the touchdown pass after 20 yards down. Sophomore gets knocked out of the game, getting smoked by Georgia. The guy whose job he, 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 he took comes out off the bench and saves his bacon and wins the SEC title game. And then he goes to the national title game and gets through the play by Trevor Lawrence and looks okay against Clemson. Not great. And then in the biggest game of the year last year against LSU, gets through the play by Joe Burrow with two huge turnovers, fumble on the way into the end zone for his possession, causes his team a touchdown, 
mindless throw just before halftime, interception, Joe Burrow immediately converts to a touchdown, game over. And then he gets hurt, you know, against Mississippi State. And he's done. And Trent Dilfer telling me he's the best college quarterback, he's the best prospect you've ever seen? I mean, come on, Trent. You know, I know he went to, I know, I know he went to quarterback school, I know he his payroll, but you know, he throws like Aaron, he doesn't throw like Aaron Rodgers. Terrific looking player. Great leadership skills, scrambling ability, throws a very soft and catchable ball. But let's put on the brakes, please. Now, what do you think on that thought process, and where do you think he's going to go? I think he benefited greatly from a very good highlight reel. <laughs> his, his compilations and beatdowns, which helps that he played at Alabama for starters. They are a very good football team on both sides of the ball, so a lot of his games were absolute blowouts. And may I interject yeah. just for a minute? Two first-round draft picks at wide receiver, and the third kid, Waddle, might be better than both the guys who go in the first round this year. We're still there. We know early on Alabama doesn't play anyone, so for half the season... It's basically backyard football, and they're the best team going, and he's the best quarterback, and he can go out and sling it and have fun and put up 50 and 60-point games, and that's, that's great. That makes for great highlights. And he's had great moments. But as time went on, and un unfortunately this sometimes happens in college football, we saw it this year with Trevor Lawrence. You have an incredible season. Then you're expected to do the exact same thing the following year. Well, it's, it's not always that easy. And unfortunately for Tua, he was injured at bad times. No good times to be injured, but injured. And then in the game's biggest stages, came up short not once but twice. He was put on such a, a big pedestal, you'd swear they won three national championships and never lost a football game. We, for whatever reason, once in a while, they'll just like pick this quarterback out of the group and just anoint them as the best player that they've ever seen. He had incredible moments. He has incredible highlights. But you're asking, what is that going to be in the National Football League? And it's a completely different beast. And you haven't even addressed the health issues. Ultimately, what's going to happen is, uh, I think he's going to Miami. Uh, and, I, and I think Miami is in the best position to do it. And I would sit where I was if I was Miami. I would not give up draft capital. Um, if someone moves up in front of you to take them, you just take Herbert. Um, but I think they're going to take them. And they're in a position with three first-round picks that they can afford to do it. They can afford to take the gamble. I hope the kid has a long, healthy Me too. Career. Absolutely. But I, you know, it, it's, look, we've seen two athletes with limited college experience, one even more limited than two, who have basically been treated like they are the second coming. You know, their names and their schools have a great deal to deal with. You know, two at Alabama and Zion at Duke. These two guys have given us just a glimmer in their collegiate careers based upon what we're used to seeing, even a one and done, a college basketball star of Zion's celebrity gives us more than the number of games it gives or gives us a championship. You know, 
gives us a, a, a long, stunning run in the NCAA tournament. He gave us none of the above. Christ, the games they won, they should have lost. He was terrific, but you know, he didn't carry his team to a championship, he didn't carry his team to the Final Four, and he got hurt at the beginning of his freshman year. You know, and the other kid, again, like this is the greatest college quarterback of all time, a phenom, he won one championship coming off the bench, didn't win any as a starter, and him had a limited playing career cut short by injury. So, very intriguing. I'm just very excited to grab some popcorn and just watch how these olds try to navigate through the NFL draft without their, their scribes and their, bat, their butlers and everybody else that runs around for them on draft day and they have their phone. Now it's all up to them. Al, as the new report, my generation's been doing fantasy football drafts for decades now, and we've had no problems. So th- there should be no excuses. If we could do fantasy football drafts and get our picks in in under two minutes, these people should have no problem now that they've got a mock draft under their belt. I don't think there will be any problems. I think, I think it's all going to come off without a hitch. It's going to be incredibly interesting and a lot of fun for so many of us who've been waiting for seemingly an eternity, which has actually been more along the lines of three weeks to a month, but for something that we can sink our teeth into that's live and happening because you know, obviously the NBA horse competition was not what we were looking for. And this will be real. This will be live. This will give us you know, what we want, which is Mel Kuyper Jr. and McShay and Lewis Riddick breaking down the picks, waiting for the picks to come in, telling us what they think of the picks. And you, know, you get to watch where your team is going, what your team's thinking, what your team ultimately does. And it's also an incredibly, to me, deep draft. So a lot of teams have a chance to get some really good players to help themselves. I want chaos. I want to watch the world burn. I want somebody to hack into the Zooms. I want things to go awry, bad connections. Let's have some fun. Al, we'll do it again next week. Total complete blackout. We will be back next week, better than ever, to analyze not only the first round, but the entire NFL draft and who went where and why, along with the next episode of The Last Dance. Enjoy the draft. Enjoy the last dance. Until next we speak, for my tremendous partner, the big man, John Tiny Lund, I am Al Renato, a.k.a. from White Plains. Have a great and safe sports week, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>